welcome to our Perfecting Potatoes Together podcast brought to you by BASF. My name is Rebecca Dawes and in this year's series we will be travelling across the country to speak to growers, agronomists and independent experts to find out what's happening in the field, in the future and to share some top tips on how to perfect your potatoes. A very warm welcome to our first podcast of 2024 and I'm delighted that today we are joined by Andrew Sterling. Andrew and his family farm in Angus, Scotland and have been growing potatoes ever since Andrew was a young boy but it's their innovation and their inspiration to continue looking for new avenues to sell and promote potatoes that makes this podcast particularly special today. So without further ado and to not give too much away I'm going to hand over to Andrew. Hi Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. So just to start with, just tell us a little bit about the business, where you're located and and how you're set up there. Hi Rebecca. My family run farm is based on at Lunan Bay, which is halfway between Montrose and Arbroath on the east coast. Um, I farm the farm with my wife Anita and three of my children are involved in the business, Jessica, Hannah and James varying from age of 27 down to 21. We grow cereals, peas, potatoes, and we also have a potato processing and packing business, and vegetables as well, using our own produce on the farm. And we're going to touch on some of that processing element of the business a bit later on in the podcast, but to begin with, just talk us through the potato production. You know, what varieties are you growing and how long have you been in potatoes? I've been growing potatoes all my life. I farmed with my father beforehand, so it's been part of my farming life. We grow five or six different varieties from Maris Piper, Saxon, Coultra, Kingsman. We also grow reds, Desiree, Manitou, and we also grow salads in Charlotte or Peer or Jemson. So we have a variation to suit different markets. The potato side of things, over the years, we supplied as a lot of people do, into packing people who supplied the retailers. But over a period of time, I got involved in peeling potatoes for processing. And when I did that, I then discovered how to do a little bit more on that side. So peeling potatoes, preparing our veg, slicing and dicing carrots, turnips, vegetables. And that led us into also packing a small amount of potatoes. And so we started to go down the route of discovering to be more direct with our product. That led us to supplying wholesalers, which then led us in turn to supplying public sector contracts. So for schools, hospitals, universities, uh, we did a lot of that and we came out of that in about 2015, 2016 because we got more involved with retail. And you mentioned that you've been growing potatoes all your life. If you go back to when you were a kid and you were helping on the farm, how's the process changed? Are you using different technologies, different equipment, or is it much the same? Massively changed. I turned 60 this year, and I can just remember back to when where we first started in the first farm at Drumbertnet with my father. The first potato shed where we put the potatoes in in bulk, and we had a small sizing table for the potatoes where somebody would skip the potatoes by hand and it would go up and over and we would drop it into a bag that would be 50 kilos and we tie and the potato dresser was on wheels and you moved it towards the heap and as you skipped the potatoes you moved further into the shed. That then there was a big change we went to potato boxes meant better storage we could do more tonnage 
and we were using local people doing that. So you would pick up 40 or 50 people and we would manage to lift maybe five acres a day doing that. That then came to a head when they started to produce machines that would lift the potatoes. And at the same time, I seem to remember that the council changed some of the dates for the children getting off on holiday, which made it inconvenient. And the two came together and literally that pushed farmers into lifting with harvesters. And once the harvester got going, there was no, it was nothing like people picking. The harvesters could work all the hours if you wanted, where before it was nine to three or seven to five, and they can lift so much more. In fact, now there's machines you'll see in the field that will lift 50 acres in a day. So it's huge tonnages. Yeah, the Tatty school holidays, as it were, I think they still happen in Scotland, but I don't think it's quite the same, is it? Yeah, they're still there, but for the significance, the sad thing is there is nothing for the children to do because now in this clever world that we have in that they're not allowed to work because we'd be this, that wouldn't be correct. Interestingly, just very recently, and it was a thing I hated doing, when we picked the potatoes with the people, we would then finish the field, and then when we finished the field, they would work the ground very lightly, and everybody would have to walk across the field picking up all the potatoes that were left behind for one reason or another, and we did all that. And this was all thrown to the side, but just very recently, with the hard side of life and people find it very hard i noticed that there were some folk are now going back and saying to the farmer could we come out and pick the potatoes you're leaving the field so they could get them for free so in a way we've actually almost turned around 40 years where we are now in a situation that food is becoming very important and people are actually almost prepared to come out and work for them and that leads us very very nicely on to um talking about people and community and, and the hard life You've done a huge amount with community. You've supported charities and particularly during lockdown, I know you put a huge amount of commitment to helping those that were in need. Talk us through some of the work that you were doing there. What we discovered when COVID was on the go, we'd already been helping communities. We would help because on our prep veg side that we supply Aldi with soup packs and we supply other people with diced produce, we decided it was very easy for us to supply soup packs to local communities. So in Tayside, we were supplying people in Montrose, Arbroath, Forfer, Brechin, Dundee. And, and we started to realise that there was a lot of people wanting to help, but it was a little bit broken up. And when we turned to try and get help from certain council, it really wasn't there. So we decided to employ somebody ourselves and we went around to organise. Because what we discovered was, in relative terms, there was people, say, at a church. If I give an example in Brechin, we, we ended up supplying the church and they did the cooking. And then they got, I think, the football club or somebody else to do the distributing. And it was a little bit, so the people in the church, we got them to do a health standard so they could do a little test just to show that they were doing it correctly and to keep everyone happy. So we did a lot of that, but the woman who was who we employed, she then got back to work. So we moved on from there and we were supplying people. We had, for instance, a group of people from Dundee, this guy who was helping the communities all the way from Carnoustie right into Dundee, various churches, various places that were distributing food. And he was turning up in the car and to begin with, it was put something in the boot of the car then it was filled the boot and filled the back seat then it was filled the boot the back seat and the front seat and he was almost driving away with his lap and it was like we need we were reaching out surely somebody in the council is driving past in the van that could be used whether it was from the nhs but oh no that was too complicated and so we did that for a period of time and to date 
we have put I was just looking something like 110,000 meals over the last few years but we've stopped doing uh, stuff with them uh, we are doing it more locally and doing less because now we're concentrating more even on our own staff so our own staff every week can take potatoes carrots onions whatever they want free and we, we start to focus a little bit back on that we also felt that in relative terms a bit of an irritation that there was no real help from council we were looking reaching out etc and so we just decided that we would if the folk came to pick up that was fair enough and so we still do but we're not doing quite as much as we did an amazing achievement though, 110,000 mils is just incredible and obviously that's the challenge that was facing humans, people. In terms of actually on the farm, have you seen challenges in terms of increased disease pressure in the potato crop, weed pressure, have you seen any challenges actually on the land? In the last couple of years, because of the weather, there has been challenges. There have been challenges of extreme dry, there's been challenges of being extremely wet. With that, there is disease comes with that and, and dependent on whether it's blight and potatoes, etc., I think we constantly have these. I think one of the things that we're seeing, and which farming already does, is about the pattern of your rotation and what you're doing into your farm and how it's not been so intensely worked. I think we're much more aware of trying to look after the land a lot better. And also at the same time, because the price of fertiliser went so much, we became much more aware of what we're trying to do. But the fact of the matter, the majority of farming was already doing that. We have got a lot of clever people telling us what we should be doing, but I think a lot of it was already there. I think the biggest problem we are having on farm now, as everybody can see, is the weather. The pattern has changed. We're not flatlining anymore. Farming will step up to the mark. We will adjust. We have to adjust. That's the way we are. It's just that I think that the food sector, the whole regime has to realise that it's not straightforward and they're going to have to pay more because there's more costs become involved in it. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And did you manage to lift all your potatoes in time before the wet weather came this year? Yes, we were lucky. We had a wet period and we had to sit back for a couple of weeks. But what we had left was in suitable fields for the way it was. I think the majority of the people were probably ones that were closer to rivers, very flat line land beside rivers, and they maybe got caught a little bit. And there were some localised areas where there were a bit more rain than others. I think we just have to go forward planning further. But unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast. And in fact, when you reflect back on us, we were very lucky because it was a fantastic cereal harvest. Had the rain been during the cereal harvest, it would have been catastrophic. With potatoes, it's not so bad. It certainly made it very difficult for vegetables because people were still cutting in between doing uh, cabbage and leeks and sprouts. That is not an easy job, and this is making things a lot harder. I know you've got a very innovative family, but in particular a son who clearly has a knack for coming up with good recipes. I believe you moved into mash and that's been a new phase of the business. Talk us through that. In our progression of packing potatoes and then peeling, slicing and dicing, and then we moved into steaming potatoes and we do steamed baked potatoes, which are in Aldi. We do steamed diced potatoes that go to ready meal companies. But this is done in bulk amounts. But what I saw, and we always looked at doing progressing to doing retail mash, but the problem is it tends to be done by big, large companies, big, large businesses that can do it very cheaply, and you get your 400-gram pack with something like a four, five, six, seven-day shelf life, and it's done in a, a very processed, a huge system way to make it cheaper. But what I saw with James was we discovered a company that was doing it so that when it's cooked 
in the tray and there's a valve on it so the steam comes out the top and the steam takes the air you then instantly come through the cooking process and go into a chill a spiral chill which then vacuums down and so the product is vacuumed in simple terms our mash you can have at least 30 day shelf life so it can sit on the shelf with 30 day shelf life and it's not through any additives or anything or anything different it's done with this vacuum Simply the air's not in it, so it gives it the shelf life. We've done trials with retail, and over a six-month period, they discovered they had 93% saving in food waste on the product in, in their store. Imagine how much, and I'm sure you can, imagine how easy, if you buy a product in the supermarket, put it in your fridge, and you can still use it in three weeks' time, instead of getting to the other side of the weekend, and if you believe the best by date, it's off. So that's a huge, hugely significant factor. But the underlying problem for us is it's more expensive. Packaging's more expensive, it is recyclable, and this is a bit of an issue with the supermarket. So the supermarkets have the choice of, are they really wanting to save food waste on the planet, or is it about the cost of what they're selling to the customer? At the moment, we moved not only from mashed potatoes, because we wanted to encourage people to eat potatoes nowadays. So we have cheesy mash, we have haggis mash, we have chorizo mash, we have cocanon mash, we've just done a cauliflower cheese mash. There is so many different things you can do with potatoes. And this leads into baked potatoes with all the different additives you can do, with all the different things you can, you, you can have with it. It's not an expensive product. It's grown in Scotland. And we've, we've, uh, we're now selling that through various distribution businesses, and it's now around the UK in a lot of farm shops, smaller businesses in Spa. So it, it's a slow progression of getting people to understand why they should pay a bit more. But in relative terms, would you pay 30 pence, 50 pence more for something that you can use in three weeks' time against having to use? So that, that's where we're at with the product in our marketing. And in terms of the business, how's that reduced the risk for you in terms of the potato crop? It, what, what we now have with the crops that we grow, we can we really have an avenue for everything. So and not being clever, but we're almost taking the squeak out. We're literally getting to the point where even the peelings we use either for cattle feed or we put back it into compost. We're now composting our cardboard and various things along with waste, veg, potato, heating it, turning it over to put back on the field. So it does mean that when we grow potatoes or if somebody grows for us, we take the whole crop. There's, you won't have a rejection. There might be an adjustment in price, but if something's scabby or it's got growth cracks, we'll still take it in. So that's, that's one of our other sales pitches to get people to supply us. And also... It's, it's the fact of waste. So you are growing a crop and not 30 or 40% getting thrown out or fed to the cows. And so from an agronomic point of view, obviously you want to make sure you get the most you can from the crop that you've planted. Do you feel added pressure? Have you changed your blight programme, for example? Are you doing anything to make sure you get the maximum yield you can? The chemical side is always a pressure because the pressure is not wanting to have disease, but also at the same time not wanting to blanket spray. So what we find is it takes time, it needs to have the right agronomist, you need to try and walk the crop more, try and be more uh, aware of what's going on. And, and actually one of the, the ways now is with drones, you can literally, you know, if you want to be as lazy as me, I can sit in the office 
and literally go and have a scan over the field with that and you can see if there's an issue area maybe you know that you can then go and have a closer look at and in terms of so we've talked about the mash we've talked about the ability that that's given you as an added avenue what comes next for you we've now got across the spec from packing peeling cooking and i think it's consolidation and we're in the hamster wheel but it's trying to get, I think, the marketing on the wholesale side of the mash and also on the, the retail side of the mash. But we have other challenges, like when you say about the growing of the potatoes. And one of the things where people ask the question is, why is the products expensive in the supermarket? One of our things, we have to be BRC food grade. So we're BRC food grade AA. And for instance, tell me this, when you clean in your kitchen and you have a cloth for cleaning in the kitchen or a brush or whatever, is it food standard? Do you check to see the specs food standard? The chemicals you used, is it food standard? We have to go through everything like that. We have to do, everything has to be food standard. So we're forced into areas where you have to pay more for it. Do I really have to pay more for it? You know, is this really having a big effect? I've not heard of anybody die from potato poisoning or vegetable poisoning. And in fact, when we went through COVID, we probably had less people inspecting we still kept the standards up. Nobody died. And it's a thing where all my staff, the Wellingtons, the clothing, plastics, we have the hairnets, all the things that we have to do to supply it. So, for instance, say through wholesale to a chef who stands on television with his hair dangling down, his long, trendy beard, the sweat dripping off his forehead as he damps it with a towel and then wipes around the plate to present it to you. We've got challenges and pressures that that I, I think is unfair on the farming and all the way through the fresh produce, I should say, where in relative terms, we're actually really being standardised against somebody who maybe makes cakes from different ingredients around the world. So that's my one little hardship that I have is, is the BRC standards. I'll be watching the chefs closely on TV now for them wiping their brows and seeing what dishes. But with the exception of the regulations, which, as you say, is, is a real challenge, you feel and you sound quite optimistic about the sector and the industry. I actually think Scotland's in a fantastic place. I think I've always, I love travelling the world, I love the heat, but I love coming back to Scotland because one thing we have that we have is water. Okay, it maybe is arriving at the wrong time sometimes. I think our structures will get better. We have a lot of irrigation a lot going on. Our temperatures are not as hot as what we're seeing down in the south of England. We can grow potatoes, we can grow vegetables, we can grow cereal. We're also now doing all various ways between wind and solar. So I, I think our country is in a very good place as far as the produce we're creating. And I think to, to go to market, which in relative terms of the population they have in England, is, is we, we're in a very good place for demand from there demand across into Europe. I think Scotland, yes, they're in a really good place. We're recording this in January. It's typical Burns month for Scotland. Will you be participating in any Burns supper activities? Yes, we have local Burns uh, supper in, in Montrose. It was in the past Friday past. It sadly involves a lot of whiskey. As it stands, I'm, I'm feeling good because I'm actually avoiding alcohol for a month. I don't know why I'm doing it, probably because I want to stay healthy. I want to see if it helps me. But we are personally on the farm here. It's very busy because 
a lot of the ready meal companies were doing a lot of diced turnip, a lot of potato. It's a really good time. But I think if you like haggis, haggis, neeps and tatties is actually good all the year round. It's actually a very nice meal. The more we can push that throughout the year, the better. And we already have quite a few really good, well-known haggis companies, but there's a lot of good butchers doing good local haggis as well. That leads me nicely into my final question for today's podcast, which I have pre-warned you about. You're not allowed to use haggis, neeps and tatties now. So what is your favourite potato dish, Andrew? As it stands, I love potatoes. I really enjoy potatoes and there's so many different ways. And we go out and we eat potatoes in all different forms and fondants with beautiful steaks and, and, and soups and all the rest. But the one that I love and I would come back to all the time is mince and tatties. A good staple that you can't go wrong any time of the year. Correct. That's exactly correct. And is there a particular mash if you had to pair it with one of your mashes that you would pair at the mince with? For me, just a good plain mash. It's up to people's different tastes. And and it's one of the actual things that we do with our mash. We don't put too much cream or butter, etc. in it. It keeps it on a lower fat level, but it, you can always add. You can't take out. So... Yes, I'm one for putting lots of butter over the top of my potatoes. but So am I, especially when it's come fresh out of the oven and it's steaming hot. Thank you ever so much for joining us, Andrew. It was a really great conversation to start the year with the Perfecting Potatoes Together campaign. And we wish you all the very best for 2024. Good, Rebecca. Nice to speak to you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening to today's Perfecting Potatoes Together podcast, why not tune in to some of the previous episodes, which you can find on the BASF website by visiting the Perfecting Potatoes Together page. In the meantime, we wish you the best with the rest of the season and look forward to our next podcast next month.